0: there. This is a two-part series uh, that we're doing. We're we're taking a step away from the book of Acts for for the next three weeks. Uh, I'll give a two-part series, and then we'll do uh, a New Year's type uh, message on the 30th. But I'm excited about this, uh, having a two-part series. Uh, I I even gave you a a whole bunch of opportunity that you can write uh, on your pages Because I'm going to be throwing out a lot of different scripture, but this is going to be primarily focused on Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. Many of you know the Christmas story very well. Every single year at Sherry's uh, grandma's house, uh, we read the Christmas story as a family, uh, with each person taking a line at a time. This two part series is called The Arrival of a Savior. The Arrival of a Savior. And it's just going to be a continuation. We'll pause at some point, and then, and then we'll move forward. I, I should be done in about an hour and a half. It was in 1993 when I decided uh, to go to McMurray College down in Jacksonville, Illinois. And, and I enjoyed my time being there. I was on the basketball team. We were the Highlanders. And uh, before every home game we got to go to the dining hall and we got to enjoy a steak dinner along with the steak we had baked potatoes sometimes hash browns sometimes uh uh, corn all kinds of different uh, items but it would be an unlimited amount just for the basketball players and, and coaches and staff so we got to go there and enjoy that and one day Early in the year of 1994, so it was the second semester of my first year. I'm sitting at a round table with with my coach and Matt Niehaus. The other guys were at other tables, but the three of us were sitting there. Matt Niehaus, he was a big boy, six foot ten, black haired that was just messy. But Matt Niehaus was the nicest guy in the world. You wouldn't think that he would he would scare a fly off but when he was on the basketball court and he had the opportunity to dunk over somebody you did not want to be around him Matt Niehaus while he was there in his four years starting all four years uh, ended his career as the all-time leading scorer at McMurray College at that point he still holds the single season record for the most blocks uh, for any McMurray Highlander player well Matt Niehaus is chowing down his food as you could assume he might being that big and he was wolfing it down and all of a sudden Matt looks at me and he points and he's signaling that he is choking to death he probably has an entire steak stuck in his throat I didn't know what to do I knew the Heimlich maneuver I had already been trained in that But he was six foot ten. I'm like five one. That's what I felt like at that moment. I thought, should I stand on a chair? Well, luckily for me, my coach is an all was an all American soccer goalie in college. So he was six foot five. And so as Matt Niehaus was looking at me to have me somehow resolve this emergency. Coach got behind him and started going to town. Four or five times after he was doing the Heimlich maneuver, all of a sudden an entire steak flew out of his mouth. But that wasn't the crazy part. The crazy part was that Matt Niehaus instantly, at that exact moment it came out, sat back down and started eating again. And in between multiple bites, he said, Thanks, Coach. I just sat there in awe. Matt needed someone to save him. Well, it was earlier this year, May 27th, in Paris, France, and there was a dad who was home alone with his four-year-old son. His mom was off visiting some family, and and the dad thought it was a good idea to leave the four-year-old home in the apartment. He went to the grocery store, the dad did. After groceries, he thought... Let me play some Pokemon Go on his smartphone. Well that four-year-old, in the meantime, while she was at the while while he was at the apartment building on the fifth floor, figured out how to open the balcony door. And the five-year-old or the four-year-old walked out of that fifth floor balcony and found himself flipped over the balcony, falling one story and catching himself somehow on the four-story balcony wall. He hung on, dangling, with the assumption that this was going to be no more. The neighbor who was next to where the young man fell was able to get out on his balcony, but there was a divider in between them, and he reached over and was able just to hang on to his hand. And he knew that he couldn't let go of that hand. He didn't have the leverage because of the divider to pull him up, but he can get a hold of his hand and like, squish it against Against the railing, well, just happened, an onlooker uh, named Mamuda Gesama was walking by, and Gesama didn't even hesitate. He looked at that situation, and he literally became Spider-Man, running up the wall, climbing balcony to balcony to balcony. And eventually got up to the fourth floor and pulled the kid to safety. That little boy needed to be saved. He needed to be saved. And did you know that you and I also need to be saved? You and I have to be saved. Remember in in the 16th chapter of Acts, we studied that just a few weeks ago. Paul and Silas, they were miraculously uh, released, freed from prison. And what the what what'd the guard do? The guard was going to take his own life be, because he lost prisoners. And then all of a sudden he realized that the prisoners didn't leave, even though they were all freed. the doors were open, they stayed. And then what did the guard say? The guard asked maybe the most important question a person could ask.
1: Do you
0: remember what it was? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Matt Gauss is asking that. Can you help me? I need to be saved. That little boy was crying out loud, I need to be saved. The answer Paul and Silas gave is the underlying response for all of scripture here's what they said believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved believe in the lord jesus and as you and i study scripture we can see clearly that all people this jailer the little boy matt knee all people need to be saved we need to be saved because you and I are sinners. That's a good Christmas message, isn't it? That you and I are sinners. Not because we accidentally choke on steak or that we fall off a balcony. That's not why we need to be saved. We need to be saved because we have no way of being righteous. We don't have a way of being righteous. Romans 8.8. 8. Says that you and I have no way of pleasing God. Ephesians 2 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We need to be saved from God's wrath. You agree? We have to be saved. And you know what? We need to be saved also to be saved from hell itself. Hebrews nine twenty-seven says, And just as it is appointed for a man to die once, after that comes judgment. And God's wrath on people who are not saved is hell. We need to be saved from the, a fate literally worse than death. And we need someone to save us. We need someone to save us. Otherwise, we'll be the walking dead. Being alive in our flesh, but spiritually dead. Colossians 2.13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of your trespasses. You, me, everyone, we are sick. Our hearts are, are literally being hardened if we are not saved from someone. Jeremiah 79 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is what scripture is teaching us. That we've got an underlying issue that we're trying to deal with and we need to be saved. And to put it simply, you and I need to be saved because we're at odds with the creator. We have to get to that point where we understand That underlying thing that we are at odds with the Creator. You guys know it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, who can save us? Who is it? Who is it that can save us? Jesus. It can't be a coach, it it, it can't be a random guy walking by, it can't be your mom or dad. It needs to be someone that's not only strong enough, but someone who's perfect. Someone who is absolutely righteous. And not only someone who understands our issues, but someone who can actually advocate for those issues. And today we're going to talk about that someone. That's that's the whole point of Christmas. Talking about that someone. There's only one person ever born in this world. Only one person ever that will be born that meets the needs and the demands to be our Savior. That meets the needs and demands to be our rescuer. And that's Jesus Christ. So we're going to start our two-part series. The Arrival of a Savior. We're going to read the Christmas story, the first 20 verses. So if you open your books, your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to go through the first 20 verses, and we'll study a a good handful of them today. Luke 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. (coughs) Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that your word uh, is proclaimed today. We pray that you can even change our hearts today, knowing that you have provided the Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, like I said, we're going to do this in a a two-part series. I have eight points. We'll do four of them today, four of them next week. Uh, So let's get started. First, the Savior, the one that we all need, was predicted through the ages. He was predicted through the ages. As soon as man went on his own from the very beginning... When he decided to, to eat of the forbid, from the forbidden tree, sin entered this world. And God showed, explained that his plan, his only plan, was already in place. He said in Genesis 3.15, speaking to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The Old Testament told us all about the coming of the Savior. Over and over and over. The Old Testament tells us that the descendant, the Savior, is going to be a descendant of Abraham's. Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families on the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 79. God says, "No, but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him." Genesis 28:14. Speaking of Jacob's offspring, "Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad" to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. As good students of the word of God, we understand that we can go all the way back, even to Adam. But if we just stopped at at Abraham, we we know and understand that Abraham had a son named Isaac, Isaac had a son named uh, Jacob, Jacob had a son named Judah, which was his fourth son, And we know that the scepter was predicted and told by Jacob upon his deathbed that he was going to be the line of Judah, or that he was going to keep the blessing. Jacob said that in in Genesis 49. We know that King David came from that lineage, the lineage of of Judah. And we know that the offspring of King David will have have an eternal kingdom. We learn that in 2 Samuel. Second Samuel seven twelve 12-13. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, talking about David, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. These are all prophecies of what is to come, pointing towards Jesus. Everything pointing towards the coming of Jesus. We also know that both Mary and Joseph can be traced back to the lineage of David from the line of Judah. Jesus, in his birth, both through the adopted father and through his birth mother, was directly lined with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David. It's beautiful to watch how Scripture writes all this out. We can go over the genealogies, and, and, and I can explain the differences between the both and, and how one's talking about kingship and, and, and one's talking about the direct family relationships. But it all lines up exactly as, as God had designed. Isaiah 7, 14 predicts that there's going to be a birth like there has never been before. A young lady was a virgin who was going to give birth to a son who would be called Emmanuel says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We know Micah foretold this as well, the, the exact location. Micah tells us in, in Micah 5:2, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler in Israel, who's coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. It's reiterated in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 2. It it, it says in verse 1 in Matthew chapter 2, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So these wise men came. Remember, they're probably not coming during the birth. They're probably coming uh, a month, two months, three years. We, We don't know the exact timing. But these wise men come. Because they have knowledge of the scriptures. They said, "Where, uh, where is he who has been born of the Jews? Or been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and had come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests. So he assembled all the chief priests. All the scribes. Brought them all together and he said, where will the Christ the anointed one, where was he going to be born? And what did they say? Bethlehem. Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And then they quote the scripture. They knew it. They knew Bethlehem was crucial. <coughs> we know that the magi came from the east. And, and they came 800, 900 miles away. Probably modern day Iran. They wanted to see this child, and it was because it was prophesied, because they knew the truth of it. They they probably had the writings of Daniel, actually, because he was uh, the chief of the court, uh, Sears in in Persia. And and then they understood the star that was going to come coming out of Jacob. The Savior was predicted through the ages, through the ages. Over and over. This moment of time was foretold and was prepared for. Over and over in Scripture. And eventually the time came. The moment in time came, and that's our second point. The Savior arrived at precisely the right time. The exact right time in history. Uh, Galatians Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son. He sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. It even states it from the words of Paul. The Jewish people there knew that there was a time coming when the Messiah was, was going to arrive. And they were awaiting that. They were excited about that. And having, having the Romans rule over them, and it, it probably made the anticipation even bigger. And this was the perfect time for spreading the good news. Uh, most people were allowed to move to and fro. They, they weren't hampered uh, uh, in, in some times of, of ages. The Greek language was prevalent. Most areas, most regions in that area all spoke Greek and understood Greek in some fashion. It's kind of like when we go to Ethiopia. Ethiopia has 83 different languages and 200 dialects within those 83 languages. But if you can speak Amharic, you can speak to almost all 83 of those languages because everybody knows a mark, at least a portion. So you could spread information via that communication, using that language, just like it was for them with the Greek language. They were able to spread the good news. During this time in history, sacrifice was understood. Understanding a sacrifice for an atonement was an understandable thing, so they could see, eventually, the death of Jesus and understand that message that was going to be given. You know, most of these things that I'm stating are are just observations. They they may not be the reason why Jesus was born at that precise moment. But if you look at Isaiah 55.8, I think it, it helps us to understand. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. The arrival of the Savior was in the perfect timeline of the eternal God. It was perfect from his vantage point, and that's all that matters. We can speculate why it was a perfect time in world, earthly knowledge, but it was perfect because that's what God did. Many prophets predicted it, including Daniel. Many prophets said exactly when it was probably going to happen and, and people have gone, in hindsight, gone backwards and said, wow, Daniel was right on the money. But you know what happened perfectly because that's exactly what God sent out before the creation of the world. Birth came in the exact moment. Let's go to verse 6 of Luke 2. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. This was the exact time, the exact moment in history, just like you giving birth to your child or grandchild. The exact moment in history that that child was, was destined to be born. There's a moment in time that that were appointed to die too. It's just that's how God works. He is sovereign and perfect. Continuing on and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So you know what Mary did right there, she she had she had these cloths that probably weren't perfectly clean, and she wrapped, what, what they would do is they would wrap their arms and their legs really tight individually with these cloths, and, and um, back then, many of them thought that that was to keep their limbs actually straight, that was how, how you did it, because of, of the challenges of, of uh, coming out of the birth canal. And so they felt like we're going to wrap it as tight as we can, but then the arms would be put together, and then you'd wrap the whole baby around. They did that with with the sheep, too, as they were preparing the sacrificial sheep. They'd wrap them in swaddling cloths. Very interesting. Just a, a, a side note to understand. They, they talk about the swaddling clothes actually a, a, a few times in the, in the scriptures. We see it here, we see it with the uh, with the angel later on, and we'll, we'll hear that they saw that upon their arrival. And, and baby Jesus, they they didn't have room in the inn, probably because the census was taking place. The, the, this is a freebie, not in my notes. Uh, probably because the, the census was taking place, and the Roman people were there, and they took up all the extra rooms because they were doing the census. And so they had to probably go out in the court area where all the animals were, and and just be part of them. Yeah, you could stay out there. You know, it's not a normal thing to put a baby in a in a feed trough. This isn't a normal thing, but it, it helped to identify who that baby was later on. Let's move on. Upon the arrival of the savior, it was proclaimed by the angels. It was proclaimed by the angels. Verse eight, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. We'll talk about the shepherds in a second. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, "Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city, city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you: you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger." And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those in whom he is pleased. Are you understanding what the shepherds are seeing? We read that all the time, but we don't stop and, and think what these shepherds are actually seeing. An angel appears to them. Could have been Gabriel. We don't know. And the angel appears to him. And, and and he's got this huge message. Had to be a, an amazing situation. A, and and a, a situation that no one here has ever experienced. And most people in the world, in all time, will never experience until the other side of eternity. And he and, and the angel. Tells him, he proclaims, the Savior has been born. The Savior has been born. It's the news everybody's been waiting for. Everybody on earth, everybody in heaven, this is the news. This is the good news. Everybody wanted to hear this. The angel says that this is the day that the anointed king, the Lord, the one deserving all reverence and honor. He was born. Not only is the angel announcing this tremendous news, but the shepherds get to partake in two other major events. Did you catch the other two major events that these shepherds are experiencing? Yeah, the angel proclaiming, the single angel. But two other things happened. Scripture says, the Bible teaches that the Lord shone around them. Do you understand the significance of that little statement? When we think of the glory of God, we think of light. Because that's what it is. The the glory of God emits light. It's probably a good description. Revelation 21, 23 says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. Besides seeing the Savior incarnate, this is probably the, maybe equal to, the most significant thing a man can see. This is absolutely earth shattering. The Savior has arrived. This is the good news. Everybody's been waiting for it. The glory of the Lord is the manifestation of the Almighty in light form. Look at Exodus 33. You don't have to turn there, but Exodus 33:18 through the end of the chapter, it's absolutely awesome to think about when you think about what the shepherds are experiencing. In Exodus 33, Moses is having a conversation with, with God Almighty, with Yahweh. And he says, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. You remember what happened? Mo- Moses, Moses says, yes, I, God, I want to see your, your face. I want to see your glory. And, and God basically says, you can't. If you do, you will die. You will be incinerated. But here's what I'm going to do for you. It so says this in, in Exodus 33. It says, I'm going to put you into the crack of that that, uh, cave there. And I'm going to walk by, and I'm going to put my hand over you as I walk by. And after I walk by, I will remove my hand, and you could see my back. And it was amazing what Moses saw. Look it up later on, Exodus 33, 18 and 14. And and onward. This is what the shepherds somehow were experiencing the glory of the Lord. Absolutely amazing. But beyond seeing the angel and and hearing the proclamation and seeing the glory of, uh, of the Lord, they got to see heaven on earth. When a multitude of angels came down. That is, if these shepherds, they didn't need any more convincing. And they get a whole bunch of extra stuff, extra toppings. The angel tells them what's about to happen or what happened and tells them exactly how to confirm what happened. Just go there, basically he's saying. Then the glory of the Lord is shown around them. And then a multitude of angels. We don't know how many. Multitude all throughout scripture talks about hundreds, sometimes thousands. Uh, Revelation talks about, uh, a mul- it sounded like a multitude of them. And the roaring waters were, were being sounded. And the, the, the pure volume. I, I don't know what the sheep are doing at this time. But this had to be an amazing moment where all the angels, all all of them are singing the same song. Is that not a picture of heaven? Is that not what our brothers and sisters who have gone before us are getting to do right now? That's what we get to do for all of eternity, and we never tire of it. Because you can't, you can't tire of praising the creator, the almighty. And these shepherds, lowly shepherds, got to witness this. We'll turn the corner and hit our final point for today. The savior was provided for the shepherds and for all people. Even the verses we already read, we can understand that these shepherds who were working in the same region of Bethlehem, we understand from, from studying that they were probably about two hours or two uh, miles outside the village. Kind of in a normal place where, where they would uh, move the sheep all around. It's guessed by several uh, scholars that These sheep were being prepared uh, for their own sacrifices for the eventual, uh, um, we'll call them holidays coming up. But you have to wonder why in the world would God go to them? You've got this juicy, crucial information. And you go to the shepherds. You know that that guy Mike something who goes to dirty jobs. He goes all those dirty jobs. He'd go, he'd go visit a shepherd, especially at this time. These guys were dirty. They they lived basically in the field, walking around with the sheep. Many times the sheep would would be uh, grazing in other people's property. They slept many times in front of where they would, would kind of lock the sheep in, and they slept in that, in that spot so, so the sheep would have to climb over them if they were to sneak out. I, I think Jesus even says that, that He is not only uh, the shepherd, but He's also the door. Because he, He's protecting the sheep. And that's what these shepherds did, they were filthy. And and you know what? No one trusted them. They were untrustworthy because they weren't following any law. Because when did they work? All the time. Seven days a week. They didn't keep the Sabbath. They couldn't. It's part of their job. In fact, it's such a no-brainer situation to control sheep that most of the time, a lot of times, they try to get the children to do it. Because it didn't take any brains. So they assumed any adult who was doing this job were kind of dumb, were ignorant, and couldn't do any other job. Now we see many great shepherds throughout all of Scripture. We see that David was when he was a kid. We see uh, numerous people that uh, Abraham was a shepherd. Yep. Yep. And, and so we see it all the time, but in this particular time in history and, and what have you, this was a dirty job. These people during this time could not even testify. if they saw something happen in a court of law, their testimony was null and void because they weren't it was assumed they weren't smart enough to be able to testify. So why in the world would God send his angels? to proclaim this great news to these people that, frankly, were unworthy because they were unworthy. That's the exact point. They weren't worthy to hear this news. They did not do anything to earn this privilege. They didn't give anything to get it. What did God do? He chose them. God chose them. He picked them to hear the information. See, if you and I are trying to figure out who to give this information, we have juicy news, huge news. We don't go go down to the local farmer and say, hey, who do you have as your hired hand who's just doing extra work? I want to tell them some big information and hope that somehow it, it spreads out. No, right now, we, you and I, we'd go to uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, and we'd, we'd hope that other people would share that information prominent people if we get one prominent person one popular person oh then they're going to share the information it's going to be great that's not how God operates it's not what he does in a couple chapters Luke chapter 4 Jesus comes home to Nazareth on the Sabbath, and Jesus walks in the synagogue. Jesus stood up in that place, he grabbed the scroll, and he began to read. Do you remember this moment? Jesus walks in to his hometown, and he grabs the scroll, and everybody's looking, what is this guy going to do? And he reads from Isaiah 61. Here's what he said. And all the eyes went to Jesus, and they waited. What is going to happen next? And what did Jesus say? Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That is powerful. What a moment. Quoting from the scripture in Isaiah 61, which was quoting himself. The Holy Spirit gave those words to Isaiah, which were Jesus' words. he said this is this good news this good news that i have is not for anyone but the poor but the weak but the people who are worthless you see that's what it's trying to get to you have to get to the point where you understand that you're worthless without the savior We have nothing without God. All of this is going to be gone. All of whatever we have is not worth anything compared to the Savior. What a better way to do that than start off by telling the dirty, the useless, the no-good, the not-trusted, the non-Sabbath-following shepherds. The message was absolutely clear what the angel was making. He said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. First, the angel says, I bring it to you. I bring it to you. I bring it to you. I don't know how many shepherds were there, but he's telling them, I bring it to you as individuals. That's how the word is is spelled out. He's referring to individuals. That's what the good news is for. It is for you as an individual. That's what he's telling the shepherds. The way Luke is using this word at the end, where he says, the people, he's referring to Israel. He's not referring to the Gentiles at that moment. Because there's a fulfillment of uh, the prophecies and, and, and the promises made to David and to Abraham. The angel is saying, it has been fulfilled this day for the people, the Jews. But we know that that's not what the good news was only for. If we just move down a little bit to verse 25 of chapter 2, we get a glimpse of Jesus' eighth day in, in, uh, on this earth as a human. And there was a devout, righteous man named Simeon. And Simeon, he lived in Jerusalem, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit prior to that moment where the Holy Spirit was indwelling Christians. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, like David was filled with the Holy Spirit, like Saul before him, filled with the Holy Spirit. This man, Simeon, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was directed by the Holy Spirit to go there, where Jesus was going to be circumcised, because they were good. They were were law-obedient mom and dad, following the law exactly as it was written. When Simeon saw the baby Jesus, he took him into his arms, and he held him. And he could not believe what he saw. And here's what he said in verse 29 of Luke 2. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. All peoples. That's referring to every single human being. Gentile. Jew everybody a light of revelation to the gentiles and for glory to your people israel jesus said in the great commission this good news was for all nations for all people for everyone the savior was born and we could be ecstatic about this arrival that's what christmas is all about We have a good time with gifts and family and friends. We have a huge party today at my house. And it will be fun to see all the family uh, coming over and and watching the Bears beat the Packers. You know, those those are fun things. But in the end, the celebration has to be about the arrival of a Savior who is fully man, fully God. And he is the reason... That you and I have the ability to be worthy. It's the only way we could be worthy. Otherwise, we are worthless. And we have to understand that as as people who desire to serve Jesus Christ. The beauty is that you and I were made in the image of God. So were the shepherds. So was Matt Niehaus. So is that little boy who is dangling from the fourth fourth floor balcony. Every single person is precious in the sight of God because we're made in his image. But the tough part is, is that many people do not understand that they are only worthy because of the perfect lamb, because of Jesus Christ. We only have nine days before Christmas. This is a great opportunity to dig into other people's lives, to talk to them about their faith and who they think Jesus is. Most people in our society celebrate Christmas one way or another. Use that opportunity to spread the gospel in some way. Ask God to give you the words and let them know how worthy they could be because the Savior came here. Amen? Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful to serve you, thankful to worship you, uh, thankful to call you um, our Savior. Thank you for the gift of your Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son. We pray that he can be glorified in our lives, and we're thankful for the example that you've given us through the angels and, and through, the, uh, through the shepherds. <coughs> May we understand our great need for a Savior, for someone uh, that won't just help us in our everyday troubles here on earth, but one that is absolutely focused on being our advocate for eternity, one that's willing to share His inheritance. One that will welcome us home to be fellow heirs. It's to you we give all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a blessed day. Hopefully I'll see some of you on Wednesday night.
1: Thank you.